Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Stardust. Stardust was written by Neil Gaiman and illustrated by Charles Vess, and it was published uh, through 1997 to 1998. And the film adaptation came out in 2007 and was directed by Matthew Vaughn. So this is kind of interesting because I actually didn't know this about Stardust previously because I thought it was just a book, Um, but it was actually published as an illustrated book originally in almost like a comic book form. Um, which is why um, it was published over like four different volumes. And then Neil Gaiman still owned the rights to the prose version of it. So then he sold that and it was published as a regular non-illustrated book as well. And I had read the non-illustrated book before. And then when we were planning on doing this podcast, I was, you know, looking into it and doing more research. And then I figured out that it was originally published as an illustrated novel with the illustrations by Charles Vess. So I think that's just so cool, such an interesting evolution for this book. Yeah, because the process for it was kind of like uh, Charles Vess was like doing drawings, right? Yeah. And then Neil Gaiman was kind of almost forming story around it. Yeah, it was more collaborative. Like he did talk about parts that he put in because he wanted to see what Charles Vess would draw from that scene. Mm -hmm. And then he... He talked about how he would write something and then Charles Vest would kind of write maybe a simplified version of that. And so he took that description out a little bit. Um, So they sort of like worked together to create the illustrated book. And then when he sold the prose, I guess he included some stuff that he had cut originally Mm -hmm. for the illustrated book. So it does have some extra material in it in just the regular book form. Oh, another thing we wanted to mention is that um, this book, this episode was a request from um, Ali and Eric. They specifically requested us to do an episode on Stardust, so uh, here's our episode. <laughs> yeah, so if you also have a, uh, a suggestion, just uh, let us know, and yeah. we'll see if it kind of fits in our uh, our schedule and in, in, uh, what we like. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so the story starts off, and this was interesting because I didn't know enough about it to kind of fully understand this when we started reading. Yeah. Uh, But the story starts off with uh, Dunstan, who isn't really the main character of the whole story, Mm -mm. but is, in fact, the father of the main character. Yeah. Uh, So it starts off with him, and he lives in the town of Wall in... England. In in England. I'm trying to think of the year, though. Or the rough time. Yeah, like 1850s. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And he lives in this English town... And it's kind of got this weird kind of um, aspect to it where there's a, an actual wall that it's named after that runs along one side of the village. And no one's allowed to cross the wall mm-hmm. or the gap. And every nine years, uh, there's a weird kind of market that takes place, kind of a mysterious market. People, foreigners from all around show up and they set up tents and stuff on the other side of the wall, and it's kind of this big event, but also kind of, like, weird and mysterious. Yeah, and the narrator, when you're reading the story, is telling you that the wall is the barrier between the regular world and fairy. So every nine years, the human mortal world and the fairy world kind of have a chance to convene and kind of have commerce with each other. And it's a market where things are bought and sold. So literally commerce between the two different worlds. Yeah, and and thinking back, I'm not entirely clear on 
like how aware the people of Wall are of fairy this world that exists beyond it where they just don't talk about it yeah i couldn't tell if if they took it as a myth because when they talk about guarding the wall they kind of take it almost as like a ceremonial duty than like an actual important one almost yeah uh I, i i don't know but the movie the way it sets it up is kind of interesting because it starts off with uh, Dunstan and he crosses the wall mm-hmm. and in the movie there's just kind of this town almost this town marketplace that's kind of always there I think yeah beyond uh, the wall beyond the wall and so he crosses into it and we get this aerial perspective of the meadow beyond the wall then some woods and then this uh, village and for me it kind of takes a lot of like this the magic out of it it's kind of a weird set up to show that aerial view. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, this magical village that exists, this marketplace, it's it's over there. It, <laughs> it, it's that way. Yeah. It's just cross the meadow, through the woods, over there. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't feel like you're crossing any kind of a barrier. barrier. Well, and in the book, it kind of talks about how there's not really a map of fairy, and it sort of can't be drawn out because it's so vast and the lands are so wide and you could be walking one place and then end up in somewhere else, you know? Yeah. So that sort of adds to the magical quality of it too. A little bit. But I guess just in the movie you get a lot of aerial shots of other locations too because there's other characters it introduces and it kind of like uh, you get these aerial shots that fly across Mm -hmm. like the landscape to uh, different areas like Stormhold and other areas. And it just kind of... I don't know, for me, took away, like, a bit of this, like, magical quality and, like... Yeah, and the movie also implies that um, Stormhold is all of fairy. Mm. Like, it it says that the wall is a barrier between the kingdom of Stormhold and England. Oh, I didn't even hear that Yeah, and Stormhold is just kind of a kingdom in fairy. And in the book... You know, fairy is vast, and there's like so many different parts of it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, in the movie, they're like it's Stormhold, and then it's the Wall. I guess it simplifies it a bit. Yeah. There's a lot of um aspects of the movie that simplify the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, some more successful than others. Yeah. So anyway, Dunstan uh crosses the Wall into um this marketplace. Yeah. And he meets a woman. And the versions are a little different. The book version is this young girl. Uh, she's kind of got hairy ears, like cat-like ears. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. But um, is kind of uh, sweet and flirtatious to him. And she gives him a glass flower. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, and she, all she wants for it is a kiss. <laughs> That's all she wants, Adina, is just a kiss for this glass flower. <laughs> it's so sweet, though. It is. And they agree to meet later that night, mm-hmm. and they do, and whoo! <laughs> uh, this was definitely way sexier of a scene than I was expecting in kind of this fairy tale like book. Yeah, because even with the narration of it, you have this narrator who's telling the story in sort of these like slightly amused tone. You know, it's like yeah. this this happy kind of like fusty narrator who's just sort of like telling you the story um and then yeah it's like oh this is charming story it's a fairy tale la 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 wow this is like a sexy scene yeah (laughs) it's not graphic like it's not explicit or graphic but it's just like 
it's just written very well and it's like really sexy (laughs) yeah it's probably like the most effective sex scene that i can think of in a book yeah in terms of like wow that like you know is conveying the feeling pretty well yeah yeah (laughs) they have this romantic encounter and it's interesting because the the fairy woman that dunstan meets she has a chain around her ankle and she's chained to the the market stall where she works. And she's like, yeah, I work for this witch and she I'm her slave because she trapped me. And like one day I'll be free, but I don't know when. And so it's it's almost like she's looking for a friend and she has no one. And so they, they have this connection, which is kind of sweet. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's um, it, it's a good scene and it sets the story up well. Yeah. The movie uh, is very similar, except it's uh, the woman is a decent bit older than him. Yeah. And is kind of like very just like sexually aggressive. Yeah, she just like straight up seduces him and is just like, come into my wagon. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. He's like, I'm just a child. <laughs> <laughs> Be gentle. But anyway, so like, you know, they have this sexual encounter and then kind of they go on with their lives, you know, in the book. The fairy market only happens once every nine years, so he's not going to see her again. And in the movie, he just kind of goes back to the village of Wall and is just like, whatever, like, mind my own business. But, of course, nine months later, uh, young Tristran is born. (laughs) Yes. And he is the main character of the story. Yeah. Uh, From there, it advances um, 18 years Mm -hmm. and him being a a young man. But I I did think it was very interesting to kind of start the story off uh, from Dunstan's perspective. Yeah. And then to see him kind of quickly grow up and to kind of quickly recap like what happened with his life. Yeah. uh, Because he did end up uh, marrying a woman. From the village. Uh, yeah, but he does have this kind of illegitimate son with him. Mm-hmm. And Tristan uh, kind of grew up not knowing, why does mom hate me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> she doesn't hate him. She just is she kind of like, mm, like she knows, you know, she, yeah, she very, obviously knows. I mean, mm-hmm. she didn't give birth to him, so she obviously <laughs> knows. <laughs> she has a sneaking suspicion. <laughs> that it's not her that son. That it's not her son. <laughs> Based on the evidence, he did not come out of her. (laughs) Yeah, uh, but Tristan is a little bit different. And so here, let's get to the one of the biggest differences. The hugest difference between the book and the movie is the name of the main character. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Um, in the book, his name is Tristran, like T-R-I-S-T-R-A-N. Tristran. Tristran. And it's very difficult to say. It kind of sounds like Christian, but like Tristran. It kind of sounds like you're just slurring your speech. Yeah, you just kind of sound like an idiot. <laughs> I don't really know I'm why uh, Neil Gaiman chose this name. Like, it's fine, whatever. Yeah. But the movie sensibly is like Tristan. <laughs> we don't want the audience, like, throughout the entire movie leaning in and being like, are these Tristran? <laughs> what? What is that? So I think for the purposes of this podcast... We're going to say Tristan just because it's easier on the mouth. (laughs) But if we do say Tristan, uh, just know there's a reason we're not drunk. Yeah. We've only had one glass of wine. (laughs) So. Uh, So Tristan, (laughs) poor, lovable, doofusy Tristan. (laughs) Yeah. He's just a boy and he's like, oh, I'm a young boy in this village, and I don't know things. 
<laughs> Tristan is like just lovably stupid. He and is. I kind of love that. I kind of love it too. It doesn't, the, the book doesn't focus on it too much. Yeah. But it doesn't make it clear that he's like, um, just a little dumb. <laughs> That's the word. He's just not like very super smart. It's not that he's an idiot. No. He's just, you know, he, it, He's not the brightest bulb. Yeah. <laughs> and even before he gets into the magical world of fairy where crazy things are happening, yeah. he still seems a little slow. Yeah. And he's just an ordinary guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One one great example. This is jumping ahead a little bit. But when he's crossing the wall, mm-hmm. he's with his father and his father's talking to the guards and because the guards won't let him cross. Yeah. And then dad is like, listen. You know where he came from. You know the rumors. It's time that he goes back home. Yeah. And Tristan hears this and he's like, huh, what does that mean? <laughs> what is father speaking what, of? What is, he, what is he referring to? I don't he's know. Like, this whole time I was imagining my dad just getting into a huge fist fight with the guards at the wall. And instead he's just like, oh, he needs to go back where he came from. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Good one, father. You'll lie to them. <laughs> yeah, but he's just very slow. He's just slow on the uptake. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Uh, but another way that he's kind of a lovable doofus is his love for Victoria. Yes. Victoria Forrester. Victoria Forrester. Who is the most beautiful girl in the village. And he's in love with her, madly in love with her. And of course she is beautiful and she knows it. And, you know, doesn't really have the time of day for Tristan. She owns it. Yeah. She's like, (laughs) I'm pretty. (laughs) I'm the prettiest. And, and Tristan's like, do you know how pretty you are? And she's like, I know how pretty I am. <laughs> and Tristan, of course, is like, I'll do anything for you, Victoria. Like, I, I, I'd do anything. And she's like, yeah, okay. And he's like, no, seriously. And he goes on this long, like, paragraph telling her all these crazy places he'll go and what he'll bring her and all this stuff. He'll go to San Diego and get her gold. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, he goes, like, on this, and the, the finest silks of... Uh, India, India, and mm -hmm. and then she's actually being like, there's a good scene in this in the movie when she's actually kind of being taken by this, and she's leaning closer, and then he's like, and I'll go to the North Pole and cut off the head of a polar bear and give it to you. She's like, what? (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) But then they um, they're walking together at this point, and they see a star fall across the sky, and it lands in the east, which is where Fairy is located. And Tristan Tristan is like, I'll bring that star back to you. And she's like, seriously? He's like, yeah, I'll go. I'll cross the wall. I'll go into fairy and I'll bring back the star. And she's like, okay, whatever. And kind of doubting him. Yeah. And he's like, if I bring you the star, um, will you give me what I want? Will you give me your hand in marriage? And she's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you whatever. Yeah. Just- she's like, okay. Sure. And she's kind of laughing at him. Yeah. And uh, he's like, okay. (laughs) And the only difference in this scene is that, like, in the movie, she's just like, you have one week. She just kind of tacks on this, like... Time limit. Time limit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Should we kind of go on the book route for a brief moment? Yeah. Because there's kind of this whole... Uh, a portion that is pretty cleanly cut out of the movie, Mm -hmm. um, I think, effectively, but it's still really good in the book. Yeah, and so... Tristan goes 
across the wall. You know, his father helps him get across the wall. And he's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then he's just kind of wandering around. And then he meets up with the little hairy man. Yeah. So uh, the hairy man was like introduced just a little bit at uh in Dunstan's early portion of the story, yeah, he kind of uh, crashes at Dunstan's place because it's raining. Mm-hmm. And so later, uh, you know, Tristan is crossing the wall into Ferry and traveling, and he runs into this dude. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I knew your father, you know, like, where are you going? And they kind of travel together for a while. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, he's funny, you know, he's just a little hairy man that is very <laughs> helpful to Tristan and helps him and gets him food and stuff. And should we mention right now, uh, we forgot to a little bit ago, but uh, we listened to this book. Yes. So I've read the book before, just the regular version. And so I knew when I read it again for the podcast that I wanted to listen to it because let me tell you (laughs) you need to listen to neil gaiman just his voice like oh my god he is amazing and this is the perfect story to listen to because it's a bedtime story like he's telling you a bedtime story and you can literally lay in bed (laughs) listen to this audiobook and it's just like neil gaiman is there reading to you and yeah. what is better in life than Neil Gaiman reading a story to what you? What more do you want? Like, it's it's amazing and perfect. Neil Gaiman just has, like, the perfect voice for it. Kind of this, like, lower register voice. Yeah. And But he does, like, the character voices and stuff well. Mm-hmm. It's not like when an author reads his own book and it's kind of, you know, they're not the best at it. He's so perfect. And, like, obviously it's his writing, so he, like, knows kind of where to place like the humor yes and uh, and he does the humor so well he does oh my god and like the delivery of these dry kind of like uh, lines very funny lines yeah mm-hmm. if you are curious what this sounds like uh here's a great clip of <laughs> just him talking about it, it's just kind of this randomly inserted part but it's so funny and just kind of like really embodies uh what the humor of the story is like and what his writing is like. So here it is. Fireflies glittered in the leaves of the elm trees and in the ferns and in the hazel bushes flickering on and off like the lights of a strange and distant city. An otter splashed in the brook that fed the pool. A family of stoats wove and wound their way to the water to drink. A field mouse found a fallen hazelnut and began to bite into the hard shell of the nut with its sharp, ever-growing front teeth, not because it was hungry, but because it was a prince under an enchantment who could not regain his outer form until he chewed the nut of wisdom, but its excitement made it careless, and only the shadow that blotted out the moonlight warned it of the descent of a huge grey owl who caught the mouse in its sharp talons and rose again into the night. The mouse dropped the nut, which fell into the brook and was carried away to be swallowed by a salmon. The owl swallowed the mouse in just a couple of gulps, leaving just its tail trailing from her mouth like a length of boot lace. Something snuffled and grunted as it pushed through the thicket. A badger, thought the owl, herself under a curse, and only able to resume her rightful shape if she consumed a mouse who had eaten the nut of wisdom, or perhaps a small bear. So that just sort of like gives you an idea of the tone of this book and how fun it is to just read it and listen to it. Um, It's honestly amazing. And I would highly suggest listening to it, which is what we did. Absolutely. Uh, So Tristan 
is uh, traveling with the hairy man. Yeah. And at this point, we discover he has a power, which is kind of a weird power, but he just kind of knows where things are in yeah. fairy. He has a great sense of direction. <laughs> which, honestly, is like an interesting power that I liked. Yeah. Also, it's a great plot device to just, like, eliminate the need to, like, know where things are. And to ask, stop for directions. <laughs> exactly. He's just like, oh, I know there's a road over there, or I know where things are. And it, like, reminds you of his half-elf heritage as well. Yeah. You know, you're like, is this part of his heritage because he was born in fairy, or, or what? what's going on with that? So yeah. it's a hint of mystery. So uh, uh, the hairy man gives Tristan a gift, a tiny kind of snub of a candle mm-hmm. that is... What's the, is it called something specific? I forget. It's not in the book. It's just called a candle. Okay. In the movie, it's called a Babylon candle. That's right. Because it references like a nursery rhyme um, that mentions a Babylon candle. Mm-hmm. But in the book, it's a candle that when you light it and you start walking, it'll just transport you like even farther than you're walking. So like one step could be like miles and miles. Yeah, it was... Uh, such cool imagery to think of in the book. Yeah. And I'm really bummed that the movie kind of like went with something way different. Yeah, and I don't really get why. I do, in the, I think. In the movie, The Babylon Candle, you just have to like think about the place you want to go and it just like takes you there like a bolt of lightning. You like rocket up into the sky yeah, in like rocket. a beam of light. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has something to do with the plot change in the movie that I'll mention when we get to that but Uh um but the visuals in the book are so cool because like one step and suddenly he's in the mountains yeah and then he forces another step and then suddenly he's in the desert like and then he's underground yeah yeah each step or he's in the clouds each step is kind of like a different place he's in and i just loved the visuals of that i thought it was awesome Mm -hmm. uh so this kind of like fast tracks him to where the star is yeah uh, and we meet the star because the star is a person. and The, the star s- is not a piece of rock. <laughs> <laughs> the star is Yvain. Yes. Uh, and she fell out of the sky and broke her leg. Mm-hmm. And we don't find out her name for a really long time in the book. Yeah. But we're just going to call her Yvain because I don't want to say the star. The star yeah, the star. yeah. It's like pointless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Tristan shows up and he is... Initially surprised that um, she's a a person that she's a person, but he quickly enslaves her anyway. (laughs) He's like, oh, you're a person. That would be weird to bring a person to Victoria. Oh, well. (laughs) And then he like ties this like magic chain around her and around himself so that she's like bound to him. Um, but yeah, he quickly gets over the fact that she's a person like with free will. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well. I'm taking you now. He's like, I've come around to the idea of slavery very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> because Victoria. Yeah, it's for his true love, Victoria. I would get Victoria a thousand slaves if that's what she wanted. <laughs> a thousand beautiful girl slaves. <laughs> uh, but Yvain and Tristan do not get along very well. No, obviously the star is pissed. One, because she fell out of the sky Two, her leg is broken and she's in a lot of pain. And three, because some idiot just came (laughs) out of the forest and was just like, oh, I have to bring you home to my girlfriend. And she's like, what? (laughs) The first person she runs into (laughs) enslaves her. Yeah, yeah. And Uh, so he's like, okay, let's let's go. Let's go back. And she's like, I mean, my leg is broken. So they're like kind of like hobbling their way, trying to make their way. 
Yeah, and this goes back to Tristan not like thinking things through. No, and thoroughly. also the candle is blown is like gone. Yeah, he kind of like used all of the candle in this fast track to um to Evane. Yeah. Um so backtrack a bit for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um Tristan tries to cross the wall. Yeah. But the 90-year-old ninja man, old man old man that guards the wall that guards the wall prevents him from and he's the only one that ever guards the wall in the book they all take shifts in the town mm-hmm. like people guard the wall at different times but in the movie it's just one really old guy <laughs> which i was fine with i kind of thought although the whole acrobatic like him stopping tristan thing was kind of a weird yeah slapsticky moment mm-hmm. um but anyway so He's talking to his dad about it. And I did like the his relationship with his dad. Yeah, in the movie, his dad doesn't ever remarry. Yeah. And it's just him and Tristan. And he doesn't together. have a sister. No, yeah, it's just the two of them. And then he kind of takes this moment to talk to Tristan about his mom and... You know, being like, I've never talked to you about her before, but this is what happened when we met. And like, here's a letter that she gave, um, she put in your basket when you were dropped off. Um, And in the letter, she gives Tristan a Babylon candle. Yeah, it was in the in the basket that he had been delivered in as a baby. Yeah. Along with the chain that Mm -hmm. he uses. Uh, So I thought it was... um, a pretty effective way of kind of cutting out the the hairy man portion. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I liked it in the book, but obviously you have to like introduce the character. Yeah, introducing whole new characters time consuming. In a yeah. Movie. So, uh, he lights the Babylon candle and just immediately like explodes. <laughs> it's just gone. Yeah, in mm-hmm. a blast of light. Yeah. And that's when he runs into Evane. Evane. Mm-hmm. So, um, he and Evane are have met up and they're traveling now on their way back to wall and right around this time we're introduced to some other players in the story so there's the main plot of you know tristan seeking out the star and then he and the star going back to wall but um there are some other interesting characters that we're introduced to in fairy and the first group of characters are the lords of stormhold so uh, Stormhold is this uh, kind of castle built into the top of a mountain. Mm-hmm. And when we're introduced to it, the Lord of Stormhold uh, is dying. Mm-hmm. And he has his four, it's three in the book, four in the movie, yeah. uh, living sons left uh, gathered around him. On his deathbed. On his deathbed. And then the ghosts of the remaining sons totaling seven. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of surprised they kept the ghosts in the... Uh, in the movie, yeah, but I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so essentially, <laughs> their their history is just like all of the sons usually kill each other uh, until to, one is left. Until one is left in order to claim the throne. And the the father of these sons, the Lord of Stormhold, is basically being like, "I can't believe there are still three of you alive right now. When I was your age, I had killed like." 10 of my brothers already (laughs) he's like you disappoint me (laughs) the youth of today (laughs) but um since there isn't one heir left and he's dying he's like well obviously i need to come up with another way to prove a the succession of stormhold so he grabs this pendant that is basically holds the power of stormhold and he just like whips it at the sky (laughs) (laughs) and it just kind of keeps going up and up and up 
And then Down. after a moment, they see the shooting star. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, that's that's probably it. Yeah. And then he's like, go get it. <laughs> he just throws it. And then he's like, OK, go get it. <laughs> so, uh, well, in, in the movie, there's a joke where the fourth brother, who is kind of added in addition to the three in the book. Yeah. Goes up to the window to look out, to look out, and one of the brothers in that moment pushes him out of the window. <laughs> He's like, Never miss a chance to kill a brother, <laughs> <laughs> which was like mentioned in the book, but it was funny. It was a good gag to see in the movie. Yeah, it just shows you their murderous intentions. But it's funny because, like, they are kind of a comedic thing a little bit yeah. in the book, but they really play that up in the movie, and I actually like that a lot. Yeah, it's sort of like this. Greek chorus of ghosts that sort of comment on what their other living brothers are doing and they're just kind of like oh there's a Septimus there and <laughs> and everyone's named in accordance to their birth so Primus is first, first Secundus Tertius and then all the way up to Septimus which is the seventh son is it terrible I didn't get that <laughs> you didn't know that <laughs> nope <laughs> that's how you know how old they are yeah. <laughs> I just like never thought about it. I was just like, oh, that's did he explain that or you just did No, you just, you just know that. <laughs> you're just supposed to know that. I think they say Primus is the oldest. Okay. I mean I guess that makes sense. I was I mean we were both listening to it in the car. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the car. I was driving. <laughs> that is true though. Like I love listening to audiobooks in the car, mm-hmm. but sometimes I kind of just start, like, my mind just kind of wanders. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to pay attention, which, I mean, for me, I've already read it, Mm -hmm. so it was just kind of a refresher for me, where for you, this was your first time with this material, Yeah. so that might have been a little harder to, like, catch everything. There were definitely parts, especially early on, where I was, like, rewinding a lot. Yeah. Because suddenly, like, he'll kind of introduce, like, very minor characters, Uh um, like, throughout the book that kind of, like, only serve, like, a small function, but he'll start talking about this person, and suddenly I'm like, wait, 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 who, what? Who is this? Where am I? Like, I'll, I'll, and I have to go back and be like, okay, I guess it's just a new person. Okay, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> let's take a minute to talk about the CGI in the movie. Yeah. Very, very mixed. It is mixed. And almost from the beginning, you can tell that it was not mixed in well at certain points. <laughs> well, so in the first scene where Dunstan goes to the uh, the market, there's a shot where a person has like small elephants in a cage. Uh-huh. And it is horrendous. <laughs> the tiny elephants are they were probably the worst effect in the whole movie. Yeah. And so from that moment I was like Oh, man. <laughs> You're like, uh-oh. Which, in a way, probably elevated the rest of the special effects. Yeah, and there's plenty of other effects in the movie. I'm thinking of, like, the green magic and, like, other um, kind of effects that aren't yeah. too bad. There's a scene later where, like, a house is being constructed by magic. Yeah. And it kind of, like, the camera goes through the window and, like, there's green fire all around it. It's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, some parts are better than others, and those elephants my God, we're so bad. I mean, it's 2007, you know? Mm-hmm. You're like, where, where's the line with bad CGI? Like, Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, when is it not acceptable anymore? Well, so I, I think this kind of like goes into a period of um, movies where 
CGI existed that was definitely way, way, way better. Yeah. But uh, for smaller movies, like what I imagine this one was, mm-hmm. and it has quite a bit of CGI. Yeah. Um, but With a fantasy. It's so fantasy. Yeah, like... Heavy. I, I think for an original uh, fantasy story, they probably didn't have a huge budget for CGI. Yeah. In which case, like... I mean, nowadays, really small budget movies can have CGI that's pretty decent. Yeah. Uh, but this was kind of before that, so mm-hmm. a lot of it's bad. Yeah. And it's kind of overused. It is overused. When um, he throws the amulet into the sky, the Lord of Stormhold, uh, it fl- the camera flies up with it <laughs> into space. Like, you don't just see it from the ground level. It goes up into space keeps going and then you see this like blinding like 2001 a space odyssey a lot of like explosions like a shooting something Mm. and then an explosion yeah like three different times oh yeah like when um evane first lands yeah like it's this huge like she's in a huge she's yeah huge ass crater yeah she's like a missile (laughs) I, i kept laughing because in the book you know he throws it into the sky and you see it disappear and then like the shooting star falls yeah uh but in the movie like it follows it into space and then some yeah and then the shooting star like rockets past back into the earth and you're like (laughs) <laughs> who, was, who was the old man? Like, was he trying to just, like, launch it into space yeah. and start, like, a space race between the three suns? I like, just imagine, like, this old guy at the window just being, like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> like, trying to, like, throw it and only getting, like, a little throw. <laughs> like, he just kind of lands on the windowsill yeah. or, like, bounces like, off eh. of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I pervert that version. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, if you couldn't tell from our context clues, the amulet necklace thing oh, yeah. hits Yvaine in the sky and knocks her out of the sky. Yeah. And so she has that now. Yeah, and she's, like, bound to it by some kind of weird Magic. law mm-hmm. that she's, like, I have to return this to whoever asks for it that deserves it or some Something. Something. It's something. It's always better in a Neil Gaiman book. It is, because you you're, like, you don't question it because he's, like, so dashing when he's explaining it. And you're, like, <laughs> of course, Neil Gaiman, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> also, Neil Gaiman does such a good job of, like, usually his worlds are kind of, like, uh, ruled by like these chaotic like laws yeah. that he kind of only touches upon and so there's kind of this air of mystery about it that like you're only kind of getting a snippet of it and but you know there's more beneath the surface yeah kind of like these old magics that like uh, I-, I don't know he's very effective in um, the way he explains it usually yeah and like there's parts where the little hairy man is telling Tristan like when people ask you where you're going, like, tell them, you know, a kind of slanted truth version, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, don't say your true name. And then, like, the this bit with the amulet and how there's, like, some kind of spell or kind of prophecy almost over it. Yeah. And, and being uh, other prophecies and other kind of, like, things that lie in wait for, like, the proper time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's just, he's so good at world building like that. Yeah. Um, well, so um, anyway, basically with the, the Stormhold guys, um, basically it's just Primus and Septimus 
like searching for the amulet. Because Tertius bites the dust really early on. Yeah, he's, he, he he's eats the third, it quick. Yeah, he's the third brother. He gets poisoned uh-huh. at an inn while having sex with the prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> and then Septimus like runs away because he was the one who poisoned him. Mm-hmm. And so then it's just like the oldest and the youngest trying to battle it out, kill each other or find the amulet first. Whatever comes first. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great because throughout the story, Primus like refuses to eat or drink anything that he hasn't prepared himself because he's so freaking paranoid about poison. Yeah, because Septimus like, is so crafty. Septimus poisons everyone. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you don't know it till it happens. <laughs> I'm not drinking your wine. <laughs> and Septimus is so creepy. Like they describe him having like this blank, empty look on his face. They always say he's crow-like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of just crafty. Yeah, and kind of like thin. Snake. and Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the witches. Yeah. The other players in this story are three witches called the Lilim that we're just going to call the witches. But they're this is another example of like the ancient world building because Neil Gaiman talks about them being like super old and that they used to be queens of a kingdom that's now beneath the ocean. You know, yeah. just like hints of that, like long ago lost kingdom. Mm-hmm. And they're so old and like magic and all that stuff. But basically, they're old now, and they've lost their youth and most of their magic. But they see the port tents and the signs in the entrails of an animal that a star has fallen. And according to them, if you cut out the heart of a star and eat it... And then snort you're... it like a line of coke. <laughs> and shoot it. <laughs> you Your youth will be restored. Yeah. So they're really old because they haven't had a star in a while. Yeah. Uh, but they find out the star fell and then... Uh, they uh, kind of pull straws, essentially, to see who's going to go get it. And so this one witch uh, takes the very last bit of stardust that they have, or heart, star, (laughs) Star powder, (laughs) (laughs) and she regains her youth uh, for this journey. And so she heads out to find the star. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, first, and she's just kind of like up to mischief a lot, yeah. Like she finds a guy selling a goat and she turns him into a goat and then takes both of them. <laughs> and and like, has the goats pull her chariot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she's a very formidable foe who is also after the star. She's for, like, get me that heart. For other reasons. Mm-hmm. She just has like, uh, Evane just has like 10 targets on her back. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> all of them separate. Tristan's like. Ah, you're going to be a slave to my girlfriend. And then the Stormhold Lords are like, my inheritance. And then the witches are like, my youth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd like to talk for a moment about Matthew Vaughn. Yeah, the director. director. Mm -hmm. Because I was very surprised when I saw his name Mm -hmm. on this movie. I hadn't looked it up beforehand. And when the movie started, I saw uh, Marv come up, which I knew was his production company. I'm like, wait, did he direct this? And sure enough, uh, his name came up as director. And I have very mixed feelings about Matthew Vaughn. Same. So he is known for directing, I guess, this. Uh, the first Kick-Ass, not the second, which was atrocious. Yeah. Uh, the two Kingsman movies and X-Men First Class. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I like X-Men First Class. Yeah. And Kick-Ass is okay. So I really liked Mm Kick-Ass, but I also haven't seen it for 
like five years probably. Yeah. So I really don't know. I'm probably going to find a lot more problematic with it than I did five years ago. Yeah. Um, but I do think it, it's still one of his better movies. I definitely argue. Yeah. Kingsman. Nah. Matthew Vaughn is, I think he's best like went in first class, X-Men first class when he's kind of got some restrictions. Yeah. It's like, listen, this is an X-Men movie. Uh, no. This is what the studio wants. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Cause he did a lot of good things with that one. Yeah. Um, I mean that introduced James McAvoy's young professor X and Michael Fassbender's Magneto who are amazing. The most compelling. Yeah. I mean yeah. like some of the best superhero scenes of dialogue are between them ever. It's oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but he, in his other movies that he has more freedom with, he has a lot of stupidly childish humor. Yeah, it's like crude humor. Mm-hmm. And mostly involving like sexualizing women or like laughing about sex. And it's just yeah. like, I mean, there is a time and place. I'm not like, oh, you can't joke about sex. But at the same time, like, come on. Like, when it seems super juvenile, it's just like, there's this weird kind of boob fascination in the Stardust yeah. movie? Well, in all of his movies, honestly. Kick-Ass yeah. is like a couple scenes, now that I'm thinking back on it, of like boobs for humor, I guess. Yeah. Because uh, boobs are funny. And, yeah, and Kingsman <laughs> had an extremely crude, I guess, joke at the end that was awful, and I heard Kingsman 2 has an equally awful scene like that. Yeah. He just does not have a good hand, like a good touch with that kind of humor. It's not his forte. No. He needs to stop doing it. <laughs> yeah, so those parts feel a little clumsy in the movie. Yeah, but it was interesting kind of seeing a movie that I'm, I'm pretty sure came before Kick-Ass. 2007 this was, so. Uh, but kind of like seeing His evolution. Yeah, 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 seeing hints of like things, like boob jokes. Yeah. You know, it, it's it was interesting so i'm just glad we're getting to talk about him a little bit because i wasn't expecting to no i don't think he's done any other adaptations well unless you count kick ass and kingsman and oh yeah those are (laughs) (laughs) everything is an adaptation and And x-men technically is an adaptation sure like they're all comic (laughs) adaptations though and i actually think kingsman definitely was i think kick-ass was too uh written in correlation with the movie oh interesting yeah so they were kind of like co-written at the same time i think Mm -hmm. kind of like working off each other so yeah so that's just a little bit about matthew vaughn that Mm -hmm. i thought was interesting yeah let's go back to the story yeah this is where they find a unicorn Woo! (laughs) a unicorn enters the story and the unicorn graciously allows evane to ride on its back Mm because she has the broken leg yeah and then Tristan is <laughs> Another example enough. of Tristan being like kind of dumb. <laughs> he was like, listen, I have to go into town, but I can't take you with me. Can you just wait by this tree? And she's like, sure. She's like, well, I can't wait here if the chain is on me because it's attached to you. Oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah. Okay, so I'll take the chain off. Just wait here, okay? And she's like, I mean, I can't go anywhere. I have a broken leg. He's I mean, like, what am I going to do? Ride a unicorn that's right beside like, me? Right, okay. I'll see you later. <laughs> and of course, he comes back and she's ridden the unicorn away. <laughs> In the movie, it plays out a little different. Like, he chains her to the tree. Yeah. And then a unicorn just comes up out of nowhere. And then 
unchains her and yeah. then she gets on the unicorn and rides away. <laughs> so it's playing a little less into Tristan's Being dumb. stupidity. <laughs> but yeah, Tristan gets back from the village and he's just like, where are you, Star? Hello? <laughs> and he's like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> and then he's like, oh no, I'm so stupid. And he's like really <laughs> mad at himself and he's like upset and all that stuff. And you do feel bad for him, but you're just like, Tristan. Yeah. Uh, so at this point in the story, he runs into Primus. Yes. Mm-hmm. On his quest of, which they don't know. I don't think they even sh- share what they're both after. No. And Primus doesn't even know that the stone's attached to this star uh-huh. woman. Uh, so, they're, so they're both going to the same place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, uh, the witch queen has kind of found this passageway that like the road goes through that she knows they'll probably go through and she creates like this whole cottage out of thin air and turns the goats into people again (laughs) uh this is where we get uh she turns the one goat back into a young man and then turns him into a, a, a woman. Yeah. And we get a boob sound effect. Yeah. When his boobs a pop boob in. A boob effect. Like a sound when they like pop up. Like boing. And if you think that that sounds crazy, it is. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so silly that it's like it's just a bad joke more than it is like offensive or anything. No, it's not offensive. Yeah. It's just like stupid. Yeah, it's just what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they turn the goat, the one that started out as a goat, into a man named Billy. <laughs> like a Billy goat. <laughs> and you the, get it? And Do in you the get movie, it? He it's so funny. I actually really like this yeah. in the movie because he is like a goat and he has like this beard that looks like a, a goat beard. And he just like shows his teeth and kind of like walks around like yeah (laughs) she'll ask him to do something and they're supposed to be posing as people yeah so she'll be like can you fetch some water and he's like (laughs) she just kind (laughs) of so anyway she sets this elaborate trap and it's a convergence for um this is where uh evane goes on the unicorn yeah and she's like oh excellent and she's like i'm gonna treat her super well so her heart is good for when i cut it out Because apparently the heart of a star that's like happy and content is like a million times like more potent and like more of a high. (laughs) (laughs) It's the good stuff. It's It's, uncut. Yeah. Then the star of the heart of a star that is like kind of scared and sad. It's not stepped on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So she's like being all nice to her, drawing her a bath and all this stuff. And then this is when Tristan and Primus show up mm-hmm. uh, to ruin her day. Yeah. Essentially. And she's just so, and the witch is like, okay, I'll just like kill these dudes mm-hmm. and then I'll get back to like pampering my star before I kill her. <laughs> so essentially, uh, she tries to poison uh, Tristan. Yeah. And luckily the unicorn saves him. Mm-hmm. Like, cause it's in the stall and it's like, don't, and don't just like, eat the water. <laughs> <laughs> and it like knocks the cup out of his hand and he like understands. Yeah. And then, uh, he goes into the, uh, the inn essentially to save Primus. Yeah. He tries to warn Primus, but unfortunately it is too late for Primus and thus begins Oh, it's like such a bloody and gruesome scene in the book. And I love it. It's as bloody 
for violence in this in a fairy tale as the sex scene was sexy. Yeah, yes, exactly. It's like that surprising in a lot of ways. So like the unicorn like busts through the door and immediately like stabs the goat man. <laughs> yeah, the goat man <laughs> charges with his head down like a goat at the unicorn. And the unicorn is like, sure, I'll just impale you with my horn. And like a horrific paper scissors rock like stabs him through the face Mm -hmm. uh and then kicks the other guy away so yeah and meanwhile the witch queen has slit the throat of primus Mm -hmm. like immediately before he can even like do anything his throat is just slit there's blood everywhere yeah uh then the unicorn uh, stabs the witch queen through the shoulder. Yeah, and like lifts her on his horn yeah. in the air. And then the witch queen brings down her like crazy glass knife blade into the unicorn's eye. Yeah, and, and kills, kills it. Kills the unicorn. Yeah, it is horrifyingly brutal. It's just like this like Tarantino-esque. If Tarantino directed a fantasy, <laughs> this is what it would look like. <laughs> it's like the hateful eight of fairy tales. Blood everywhere. And Tristan kind of like grabs Yvain and they don't know what to do and they're like, oh my gosh, like how do we escape? And then Tristan grabs the stub of the candle that he has left. Yeah, it's only a bit. Only a bit. And he just thrusts his whole hand into the fire. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of lights on his hand a bit and also on the candle. And so he's like, walk. They have to walk together. So they walk and then the candle goes out and they end up uh, far away. Yeah, and escape the witch queen. And escape the witch queen. Uh, the one... Um, not the one major difference, but the one difference in this scene in the movie, mm-hmm. which I thought was a great addition, was when Primus shows up at the inn. Oh, yeah. There's a hot bath there, which he just when the witch queen comes downstairs, he's already stripped down and is just, he's in, just in the bathtub in this hot bath. And he's like, oh, great. I'm glad there was a bath here. <laughs> um, so when the scene unfolds and she slits his throat. Uh, he then turns into a ghost yeah. among his other ghost brothers who are with him. Mm-hmm. And it's just a great moment because he's got this gross like gash across his neck. Yeah. And he's also naked now because he was in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the ghosts in the movie um, still look the way they did when they were first killed. So the one guy who was pushed out the window, his hair is like perpetually like windswept. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one guy has like an axe in his head. Um, a couple different like other deaths. Yeah. But yeah, it's a great gag though when he shows up as a ghost and is just like naked and he and his other brother like glance down realizing it. <laughs> like how embarrassing. <laughs> but yeah a lot less bloody in the movie quite a bit um the unicorn doesn't really stab anyone does it um no i think it only kicks i think it kicks the queen or something it kicks the two goat people out of the way yeah and then i think that's when the queen oh she uh like flamethrowers it oh yeah she kind of has flame powers more in the magic movie. Flames. yeah and yeah. so she kills him in a much less uh horrific way yeah which is disappointing. <laughs> a little bit. So uh, this leads us to them being stuck on a cloud. And Tristan, in this moment, yells at her and calls her a cow. Yeah, he's like, you stupid cow. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> she is a gorgeous star woman. Yeah. And way better than you deserve. <laughs> oh, uh, but this is another uh, slight difference in the movie that I kind of forgot about. But 
uh, Tristan, in order to have a vein like work with him, yeah, tells her that he'll give her because he still has some of the candle left at this point when they meet. Yeah, he tells her, "I'll give you the rest of this candle if you go with me, and you can use it to go back to, to the go sky. back home to the sky." Which is why I think they have it like a, um, like a you you rock it off. Oh, okay. Because I think if it was just walking, when we were talking about that earlier. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just realized I said I would explain it, and I didn't. So <laughs> I think that's why they changed that effect. But yeah, and it's interesting because in the book, Evane tells him right away that she can never go back. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, once you fall from the sky, like I can't, I can't go back. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm trapped. On Earth, yeah, and so, yeah, so it's a lot more depressing yeah. for I, least, I like that element a little bit in the movie, though, because it's he's at least like, hey, if you go with me, then I'll at least set you free instead of yeah. like perpetual enslavement. You're just a trinket for Victoria forever, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. So this leads us to Sky Pirates. Sky Pirates, and I had to laugh because I was reading, I was listening to the book, and I knew nothing about the movie except something made me think vaguely that I'm like I for some reason think that Robert De Niro's in it <laughs> and he's a sky pirate I'm like is that right I don't know and at this point it's like a decent way into the story and I was like ah, I must have been like thinking of something else like I probably wasn't right and then <laughs> who shows up but a gang of sky pirates yeah so they're on the cloud and they get conveniently rescued by pirates who capture lightning yeah which is cool. It is cool. It's, it's a, a cool, cool idea. Image. Yeah. And essentially the book, uh, they get on this ship. Everyone's like, welcome to the friendliest pirate gang in the world. Yeah. And, they, and they're like, let's patch up your burnt hand. And then they're like, let's patch up your broken leg. Let's like help you guys get to where you're going. Let's swab the deck and sing some songs. <laughs> and it's like kind of a really happy moment for yeah. everyone, including Tristan. A like moment he, of peace. Yeah. He like feels really at home and like likes everyone. And then they get dropped off. And that's about it for the book. Yep. That's like two pages. Yeah. Um, the movie, though, when you get Robert De Niro to, to play, play a sky pirate, to play a sky pirate, you got to use Robert De Niro <laughs> as a sky pirate and also give him a very, very strange character. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's seen this movie can tell you that it's like funny and good, but also like weird and I- kind of you're not sure why it's happening. <laughs> I've literally, maybe not quite literally, I've never been more conflicted about how I felt yeah. about a character portrayal. So basically, Robert De Niro, they capture them, and he's kind of putting on this whole persona. He throws Tristan off of the ship. Yeah. You can tell, though, it's a dummy immediately. Mm-hmm. And then he takes Yvain into his uh, captain's quarters to, like, have his way with her. Yeah. They kind of joke cool. about her being, Rape. like, yeah. raped a lot. Yeah, I was not okay with that. No, like, they kind of bring it up almost for yucks multiple times. Yeah. Uh, but anyway... When he gets into the quarters, Tristan's there. He's fine. Yeah. And the captain drops his persona and suddenly is a very kind of a feminine uh, character. Yeah. And talks about like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I had to like fake throwing you off. Like I have to keep up appearances so that they'll respect me. Yeah. And I'm like, and he's like, tell me about like London. How is it? Like he's very like kind of. Yeah. And there's a no- scene where he's like. Oh, pick out, you guys need new outfits to wear. And Evane is like, I'm okay wearing this. And he's like, you're wearing a bathrobe, honey. You need to wear a dress. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I'm like, I'm not against there being no. like. And, and 
And honestly, like, when he's talking about, they give him somewhat of a backstory. Yeah. He talks about his father was the captain of a ship. Mm-hmm. And he never, like, jived with that. He always liked fashion and clothes. And culture. But he kind of got forced into this role. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of tried to maintain appearances, like, on the outside of As being. this gruff pirate. Yeah, but meanwhile, he's kind of got this secret life of, like, liking fashion. Yeah. And being, which part of me was like, okay, they've, like, thought about this. It's not, he he is kind of a character. It's not just for yucks. Yeah. Even though it is for yucks, it's like, there's a little bit more thought put into it. Mm-hmm. So they travel with them for a while. Mm -hmm. And then eventually during this moment, Tristan is like learning how to sword fight. It's kind of a montage. Yeah. It's like Tristan's man evolution. Mm -hmm. It's Tristan's manvolution. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag manvolution. Like literally the captain, his name's Captain Shakespeare, like brushes Tristan's hair and makes it longer and more stylish (laughs) as he brushes it with magic, I guess. I don't know. Well, I think it's because like this adventure is only a week long. Yeah. Because Victoria is like, you only have a week. Yeah. But when he returns to wall back at the end, spoiler alert, like (laughs) they probably want him to look different. Yeah. They're like, he has to look like he's more magical now. He has to look like he's been on the road for a long time, even though it's been a week. So so. he has like longer hair. They give him like, kind of more swashbuckling clothes and he's very dapper captain shakespeare teaches him how to sword fight and then they do dancing on the ship with evane and and this is where evane and tristan really like grow closer together Mm -hmm. uh and then there's a random scene with ricky gervais where they're selling the lightning yeah kind of prolonged unnecessary and then finally they get um let go they're they're dropped off where they want to be um this is followed in the movie. I just want to finish off the captain's arc yeah, real yeah, quick. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, Septimus shows up looking for Tristan and Yvaine. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he and his crew jump on the ship and there's kind of a whole sword fight scene. Yeah. <laughs> and he enters the captain's quarters to confront... Uh, what? Captain oh, Shakespeare. Captain Shakespeare, thank mm-hmm. you. To confront Captain Shakespeare. And... We get clips of this leading up to the moment, but I'm just going to say Robert De Niro is in his quarters and he's dressing up in a dress Mm -hmm. and like putting on makeup. Yeah. And then he starts putting on this goofy music. It's like the can-can. It's like, yeah, it's (laughs) the can-can. And so at this point, I'm like, okay, like they just wanted like, this is all just a gag, like, oh, a cross-dressing Robert De Niro. And I'm like, okay, they kind of, any buildup of backstory they had was kind of just, I guess, whatever. Yeah. Like, this is where it kind of turned for me. Yeah, it did kind of turn at this point. It's almost just, like, just a joke now. Yeah. Like, the juxtaposition between, like, deadly, serious, manly Septimus and then this almost parody of this manly pirate Mm -hmm. in being, like, effeminate and well, you know and earlier on like robert de niro ha- is like kind of effeminate yeah but like it's not like it's, oh. on, it's honestly not super it's like, not overly dramatic it, yeah it's not like crazy like a crazy voice or anything yeah but this was like kind of going that crazy route mm-hmm. so they have the fight um septimus the pirates win yeah. but septimus escapes mm-hmm. and this leads to another scene where uh, Robert De Niro is in his quarters and he's like all disheveled and kind of bloody and, and his crew is surrounding him. Yeah. And of course he's still in his dress. And he's like, I'm so embarrassed and my reputation. And yeah. Stuff. He's like, you guys won't respect me anymore. And then the crew are like, listen, Captain, like 
we always knew. And they're like, you're still our captain. Like, this doesn't mean we don't like we don't respect you yeah and it's kind of this like sweet moment (laughs) yeah and you're like this is such a roller coaster of emotion (laughs) (laughs) i've been through so many what a journey (laughs) i know i've been through so many ups and downs with this robert de niro character i don't know yeah i have no idea how to feel about it i don't either in some ways i feel like it was very over the top and such a stereotype of like a gay character yeah but on the other hand i mean i think some of it was funny and yeah. I think in the end, the the message of like, oh, his crew accepts him. And that was sort of what he was trying to tell Tristan to just like be himself and like accept his true self sort of shines through. So, yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> 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 so anyway, you know, uh, Tristan and Yvain eventually get dropped off by the pirates and then they're on their way to Wall and they hitch a ride with uh, Ditchwater Sal, actually, and her bird. And Ditchwater Sal ends AKA up... A.K.A. Tristan's mother. <laughs> A.K.A. Tristan's mom. He doesn't know it's her. <laughs> uh, Sal actually turns Tristan into a mouse for the journey. <laughs> yeah, not not to his uh, opinion or his will. <laughs> no, he didn't want it. She just turned him into one. Um, and then she drops him off at the village of Wall and turns him back into a person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the interesting aspect, though, is that she doesn't see Yvaine uh, because of the... Uh, curse yeah that uh the witch, queen. the witch queen put on her yeah so she doesn't know Evane's traveling with her no in the book so the witch queen's final plan is she sets up another hut on the road because that worked <laughs> out so well the first time <laughs> and when ditchwater sal passes she asks do you have any travelers or like anything yeah. and she's like no i have one who i turned into a mouse and that's it and like the witch queen kind of looks at her she's like you sure and she's like yep and she's like Okay, I guess get going. <laughs> and an interesting thing about the witch is that the more magic she uses throughout her time, um, the older she gets. So she's losing her beauty and kind of some of her wits too. Like it seems like at this point in the book and in the the movie, she is just old and is kind of not keeping up with things as much. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, don't you remember the curse you put on this lady that she can't see the star? Yeah. And also you just very quickly just take her word that she doesn't have anything. Also in the book, she kills Septimus, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She Septimus has to get revenge for Primus because he wasn't the one who killed him. This yeah. witch queen was. And he tries to burn down the hut that she has. And she knows he's coming and basically sends a snake to bite him and poison him. And that's how Septimus dies. Yep. So that's all of the sons. All of the seven sons mm-hmm. dead. But not in the movie. Not in the movie. Septimus is still alive in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the movie, in fact, they get to... Uh, wall mm-hmm. and they go to the market and Tristan and Evane have a sexy sex time. Yeah. Tristan is like, I heard what you said to me when I was a mouse. <laughs> Cause she was like, I, I love, love you. you. <laughs> I love you. Tiny mouse. I love you. <laughs> he's like, I heard what you said when I was a mouse and I also love you back. And then they kiss and they bang and it's a good time. And also, Evane is shiny now whenever she's happy. So she like I'm glows. So shiny. <laughs> she's like star shimmer. That's what we do. <laughs> That's what we do, Tristan. But then after they have this night together, um, Tristan goes to um, talk with Victoria. And so movie version is he shows up. Yeah. And he takes a lock of Evane's hair. hair to bring to her. 
and she's like, oh, where have you been? Like, blah, blah, blah. You look so handsome and rugged now. Yeah. And then she, he dips her. Like, he takes her yeah, in his arms. Yeah, he takes her in his arms and kind of dips her, and he's like, Victoria. And clearly she's, like, into it. Yeah. And then he's and he like. drops her. Yeah, he's like, you need to get over yourself. And then he just drops her on the fucking ground. Yeah, he's so awful. He's such a, like, literally he makes this, like, whole trip back just to Rub it in her. Victoria's yeah. face. He's like, ooh, I slept with a star, Victoria. <laughs> and also her other suitor guy shows up. Yeah. Uh, who's played by Henry Cavill, by the way. That's kind of a fun fact. <laughs> he shows up and then, like, I guess Tristan, like, emasculates him by, like, pulling out his bigger sword. <laughs> I don't know. It's a stupid scene. Yeah. Basically, they're like, Victoria, you're just a, a stuck-up snob, and I've met someone better. My true love is Yvain the star. And then... Like, he goes back to find Yvane. Yeah. Uh, the book version. Yeah, the book is so much better because Tristan gets back and he goes to meet Victoria. And Victoria's like, okay, I've been waiting to talk to you. And I've been wanting to talk to you for so long, Tristan. Because he's been gone for, like, six months. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I re- regretted that day that I told you to get the star. Like, every single day since you've been gone, I blame myself for you going on this ridiculous mission, and I thought that if you never came back or you died, that it would be my fault. And so she feels bad. She feels like she kind of egged him on, and she thought he was just being silly, and she should have taken him seriously. And she's like, you know, I've waited, and, you know, I did care about someone else, which is why I was hesitant when you were saying that you loved me. She's like, because mm-hmm. I was in love with Mr. Monday. And she's like, but I waited for you because, you know, I didn't know if you came back. I, pr- I did promise you my hand. And Tristan kind of takes this moment to be like, no, you promised me whatever I want. And w- what I want, Victoria, is for you to marry Mr. Monday and be happy. Yeah, it's it's a really sweet moment. Yeah, and a lot different from the <laughs> from the movie where yeah, the Tristan movie, has uh, to like be a there has to be like a winner and a loser in the situation. Yeah, where in the book it's like, of course Tristan in that moment realizes that he loves Evane and not Victoria, and that Victoria of course should be with the one that she loves too. And so it's like two people coming away and getting exactly what they want. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in the movie, I'm so mad because I did feel like in the movie that there was more to Victoria than her just being like a self-centered. At the beginning, maybe. Yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. And then they kind of just like stomp on that at the end. Yeah. And Tristan's a dick. Mm-hmm. And that's the takeaway. Yeah. So... Back at the wall, well, book version. Yeah. Because basically it's a wrap up from here for yeah. the book. Mm-hmm. Tristan returns. He sees his family. Mm-hmm. He gets some food. He <laughs> says peace and he leaves. Yeah. And he's basically like, Yvain, I love you. Let's be together forever. And they're like, cool. And they kiss and, and it's, it's raining. And then um, Tristan finds out that um, the bird that Ditchwater Sal has been held holding captive for this whole time is actually his mother. And then you find out that his mother, Una, the bird, is actually the daughter of the Lord of Storm- Stormhold. The yeah. only daughter. The uh, the sister of the seven dudes who are all dead. Yeah. And <laughs> and so the amul the uh what am- no, it's not amethyst. The The Topaz. The Topaz yeah. that is has been like tethered basically to uh, Evane 
rightfully belongs to, to Tristan. Tristan. Mm-hmm. So he's the heir now. He's the he's the only living male heir. Mm-hmm. And so he asks for the topaz. She gives it to him. And he's the Lord of Stormhold. Yes. And the curse on his mother, Una, is broken and she is freed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we get one final moment that's kind of great where uh, when Tristan is arguing with his mother about when he's going to go back to Stormhold. To rule. <laughs> to rule. Uh, Yvain takes a moment to like walk by herself. And who does she run into but the decrepit, aged oh, yeah. witch queen? <laughs> and the witch queen's like, I'm going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> she's got like this, this arthritic hand holding a knife. and she's She can like, like hardly see anything. She's partially blind. And she was she asks Yvain, she's like, I'm confused. Like ever since we were you escaped me at the inn, I've had trouble seeing your heart. Yeah, like, it's not as strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like dissipated and like, why can't I see it? Because I'm not going to kill you if, it's, if I don't get the heart. And Yvain's like, it's because it belongs to another now. I've given my heart to a boy. <laughs> and the witch is like, ah, crap. So it's sort of like once Yvain has fallen in love and metaphorically given her heart that it's useless to the witch queen and to anyone else who would seek her heart, which sort of wraps things up nicely and allows Tristan and Yvain to like go about their lives without worrying that someone's going to like stab Yvain <laughs> out of nowhere and carve her heart out. Pretty much. <laughs> So yeah, that wraps up kind of nicely. Uh, the book or the movie is very different. Oh boy, is it! <laughs> so basically, the scene after uh, he sees Victoria, he goes back to get uh, Evane, mm-hmm. and then Evane and his mother Una are kidnapped. It's this kind of hectic, yeah, weird scramble of it's a, a scene. cluster cuss. It's a cluster cuss <laughs> at the wall where. Uh, Ditchwater Sal shows up because Una had to drag her along, and then the Witch Queen shows up. She kills Ditchwater Sal. Mm-hmm. Then she kidnaps um, Una and the star, Yvain, and takes them with her back to her witch palace, yes. where her other two witch sisters are waiting to eat the heart. <laughs> and then Tristan's like, oh no. Oh, no. (laughs) And then this is where he kind of teams up with Septimus. Like, he and Septimus run into each other, and they're both like, oh, we both want to kill these witches slash save the star or grab what the star Mm -hmm. has. So they decide to work together to just fight the witches. Oh, and by the way, uh, Mark Strong plays Septimus. I don't think I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. And it was, he's, I I like him as Septimus in this, Mm -hmm. uh, but it was so funny because when I first saw him, I could not place him. I'm like, (laughs) who is that man with the flowing black hair? And that's why, because he has more hair in this movie than he's had in any other role. (laughs) It's so weird seeing Mark Strong with like a lot of hair, (laughs) but he's good. I like him as Septimus. Mm -hmm. So he, uh, Tristan and Septimus, uh, they're like, okay, we have to work together and we have to like get in that castle and we have to save her. Yeah. So their plan is basically they just burst into the castle with swords and they're yeah. like, ah! And of course, witchcraft ensues mm-hmm. and they end up killing two of the witches, but then the main one, the witch queen is still alive. And also in this moment, this is in the, mo- this is in the movie when we find out that Una is, Septimus's sister and Tristan's mom and Tristan's mom because we well we knew that but like yeah Tristan finds out oh yeah 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 right 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 mm-hmm. so uh, there's kind of a cool scene where 
uh, Septimus is approaching uh, the witch queen Mm -hmm. and she pulls out like a clay voodoo doll Mm -hmm. and she like breaks his legs, which is pretty gruesome. And then she drops it into water. And this was actually one of the coolest effects, I thought. Yeah. Because as soon as she drops it, the doll in this fountain, Mark Strong kind of like suddenly starts floating like his hair floats up. And, like, the water effect is on him. Obviously, he's not actually in water, but, like, he floats up and then ends up drowning from yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And then, so Tristan is like, okay, it's my turn. And he, like, goes to confront the witch queen. And she pulls the doll back out of the water mm-hmm. and starts, like, messing with the, the arms and legs. And suddenly, uh, Septimus's body like kind of reanimates reanimates yeah like septimus the ghost is watching now because he's dead he's like don't look at me it's not me (laughs) (laughs) i thought this was the coolest um part of the whole because there's a lot of different things that happen yeah in this final confrontation yeah Yeah. but i really loved the reanimated corpse of septimus fighting tristan yeah because he's kind of like his head's down half the time and he's not even looking at Tristan Mm -hmm. and he's kind of like almost gliding along the ground like he's being pulled by a harness or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just thought it was a cool effect. Yeah, no, it's a cool fight scene. And yeah, I I thought it was uh, definitely the best part of that moment. So then they end up defeating the witch by just like hugging each other really close and then the star ends up shining even brightly, more brightly than before, and then just, like, explodes the witch with her brightness. (laughs) She's just like, Tristan, hug me, and then, like, kills the witch. (laughs) It's, I mean, it's fine. It's, yeah, it's just like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, whatever. There's just, like, a lot of different parts to this ending finale. Yeah, it feels like it goes on for a long time. This is a two-hour and seven-minute movie, I think. Yeah, it feels like it feels kind of long. long, especially yeah. this last part. Like the fight kind of goes on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's sort of this Hollywood of literal fairy tale ending, not like a, an old fairy tale ending. Like the, the book is a little more bittersweet. But um, like there's this big marriage scene where um, Tristan is like crowned king of Stormhold and Yvain is there by his side as queen and Una is there and Dunstan is there too reunited with Una and then like the townspeople are there at yeah, the I, wedding. I guess the wall means nothing it now. It means nothing. They're just at the wedding and Victoria and her like guy are there looking very unhappy because they are the losers in this situation. I'm just like like what why yeah and then there's like a narrator being like and then they ruled for many years and then once their children and grandchildren were grown they used the babylon candle to go to live in the stars yeah they rock it up into the sky yeah to live forever in as stars the end the end (laughs) (laughs) the book has this great epilogue though where Uh, okay i'm sorry i was just gonna say like comparing the endings Oh, like, yeah. I get why they did like more with the ending that was exciting because mm-hmm. the book really does kind of just wind like down. wind down for quite a while. Like in a way, the uh, the scene at the end with the witch and Primus and like all this stuff is like the action climax. Yeah. And after that, it's kind of more of a meandering wind down, which I loved. Like it was great. Yeah. But I get why they kind of included this. It just felt like tacked on a little it just felt like too much Mm -hmm. in a way i'm fine with the final confrontation but it was like this wacky thing happens and this wacky thing and 
Yeah. The epilogue of the book is good, though, because uh, Tristan and Yvain don't go to Stormhold to roll right away. They kind of go on some adventures first, and they have some years just traveling together. And then eventually they go back to Stormhold. Tristan rules. He gets old and dies, and then Yvain ends up ruling in his place. And it is a bittersweet ending because you know when they first get together, uh, Yvain tells Tristan that they can never have children together because she's a star, he's a human. And then um, when he dies, she's kind of alone and ruling the kingdom, and she never goes back to the stars because she can't go back. And they kind of end with that, with her kind of like always looking at the sky being kind of melancholy like yeah tristan has died and she's ruling i'm sure she's great at ruling but like she can never go home so yeah it's it's kind of a very grand ending yeah. like chronicling like what he did as a ruler and mm-hmm. then his passing in old age and kind of I, I don't for a fairy tale story that felt so kind of just like a fun jaunt through this yeah like fairy tale world like it felt like a very epic ending and mm-hmm. i kind of, i liked that yeah that it was I kind of too. it was kind of sobering in a way and kind of and it wasn't perfect you know they they didn't end up happily ever after they were happy mm-hmm. but it can't last forever. No. And, and Neil Gaiman does say that, I think, specifically. Yeah, like, they didn't live happily ever after, but they were happy for a while. Yeah, which exactly. Was, yeah, a very, it's too real Neil Gaiman. <laughs> <laughs> and this kind of goes into, like, the tones of the movie and the book. Like, we talked about the book being very adult in theme, you know, sexually and violence-wise, like, adult themes. And this is a fairy tale for adults. And Neil Gaiman famously talks about this and how fairy tales used to be for adults. I mean, children listen to them too, but they weren't only for kids. Um, But then as time went on, they became more directed towards children and the fairy tale versions were tamed down. If you read like original Grimm fairy tale stories, they're very graphic and very sexual. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then, of course, over time, they became more sanitized and more of the versions that we've come to know, especially uh, we talk about Disney sanitizing, like these Mm -hmm. very dark stories. Um, But this is sort of going back to the adult fairy tale version. You know, there's sex, there's violence, there's a lot of death, and there's a bittersweet ending. Uh, The movie, I think, is more of the the children's fairy tale version. Yeah, kind of more of that sanitized. Yeah. Uh, you know. Not a lot of violence. No. Hints of the sex, but not really. And but some goofiness, too. It does kind of raise that question of, like, who... It. Yeah, this is interesting, because, like, the movie I look at and I think, who is this for? Yeah. On the other hand, though, I praise Neil Gaiman for writing books like this and Coraline, where, in a lot of ways, they're light and almost children oriented yeah. but there's a lot of dark more adult tones to them mm-hmm. and so i <laughs> i don't know where the line is i guess just neil gaiman is he's so really talented. good at crossing genres and age yeah groups. yeah whereas like the movie feels like it doesn't quite do enough for either it's not like and a lot of that is like for ratings because mm-hmm. you talk about movie ratings and books kind of have that but not as strong and it can kind of appeal over different ages but yeah that's a kind of a barrier for movies sometimes yeah it kind of misses the mark with both adults and kids i feel or would yeah or maybe not i don't know so which one's better uh i don't think there's a question for me it's the book yeah i mean especially with neil gaiman 
reading it to me on my drive to and from work. It's Neil Gaiman. (laughs) (laughs) If there was any doubt that we would choose the movie over Neil Gaiman, you were wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, for the most part, enjoyed the movie. No, I liked the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it It was good. It felt like... Like, Matthew Vaughn's original voice is in there a bit, although it's not as, like, strong as with other movies, although maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I guess it, it, I wish it was, like, more adult, yeah. possibly. Yeah, but I get why it isn't. And for what it is, I do enjoy it, and mm-hmm. I had fun watching it, but I just infinitely prefer the book. Yeah, for every boob bouncy uh joke yeah uh that falls flat there are like a lot of good uh comedic moments that are funny there are yeah and i liked the characters i thought the actors did a good job and yeah they all did mm-hmm. uh charlie cox plays uh uh tristan you mm-hmm. you know him from the new daredevil series on netflix so yeah yeah it's it's uh it's got a pretty solid cast mm-hmm. you ready for lightning round yes so for our first lightning round moment, uh, this was something interesting that we read on IMDb. Apparently in the scene where uh, he and Evane wake up in bed together, he was shirtless originally. Yeah. And then they were like, mm, is that too sexy? It's too sexy to see Charlie Cox without his shirt on. So <laughs> so they actually CGI'd a shirt onto him. Yeah. And we didn't notice the first time watching no, it. No, it was actually pretty good. We went back after we heard this and watched that part. And there's only like one moment where he reaches out for, like and you see the shirt sleeve and it kind of maybe doesn't quite move with him. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, this is the best CGI in the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> it seriously is. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this great part in the book. And this is another example of Neil Gaiman's humor. Um, but, uh, let me just read this part to you. Uh, Tristan is looking for some food and he sees a bird in the undergrowth. He made no attempt to catch it. He had a severe shock some weeks earlier when having narrowly failed to capture a large gray-brown hare for his dinner, it had stopped at the edge of the forest, looked at him with disdain and said, well, I hope you're proud of yourself. That's all. And it scampered off into the long grass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tristan had had a, a great shock <laughs> at almost eating a sentient rabbit <laughs> and the rabbit's like I hope you're proud of yourself excuse me <laughs> oh man um, so I wanted to talk just briefly about this one scene in the movie that felt so uh, unnecessary mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't a bad scene but essentially uh, Septimus has a group of people he's traveling with uh-huh. and he refers to this one guy to toss these runes up in the air and then read them in terms of like which direction should we travel where are they going kind of like this communication with the fates or whatever yeah and he starts to like ask him to like answer certain questions like what's my favorite color mm-hmm. what's like he starts being suspicious testing of this him. guy and testing yeah. him and he's throwing the runes up in the air. And then in this one moment when he throws them up, he's like, do you work for Primus? I, I think that's the yeah. line. Mm-hmm. And so he discovers that this guy has been, I think, leading him astray. Yeah. Uh, and he kills him. But it's kind of this very tense moment. It's a very dramatic scene. For between Septimus, who we know, and then this old guy who we don't know at all. No. And just the only result of it is that i guess we know that septimus is like behind 
in the race, maybe? Yeah, and I don't know if this is supposed to show Septimus's cunning yeah. and cruelty, but yeah, it did feel kind of weird and unnecessary. Yeah. But a good, it was a good scene. It, 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 yeah, it, was, it wasn't <laughs> bad. It was just like... Why is this happening? Very not tied into anything else that was going on, really, but, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so in the book, this is another example of Tristan... Oh, lovable Tristan. Lovable, but very dumb. Uh, So they specifically mention when they're talking about Tristan um, in the as he's a a young man. And they're like his sister, who was six months younger than him. (laughs) And you're like, your sister is six months younger than you. And you don't know that there's something up with your like your heritage. Like. How can you have a sister that is six months younger than you? Like, it's physically impossible. And you've never questioned, like, hmm, I wonder if, like, my sister being six months younger than me, my mom looking at me weird all the time, and me having, like, one ear that is kind of, like, weird looking, is anything to do with my having a different mother. (laughs) And he's just, like, he doesn't pick up on that at all, which is funny. Yeah, it's great. Uh, So... There's a scene when in the movie when Yvain is at this inn that the witch queen is trying to like make her obviously comfortable and like happy so her heart will be riper for cutting out of her chest. And she after giving her a bath takes her up to her room and she's like, would you like a massage? <laughs> so that's the first thing. They keep calling a massage a massage. Yeah, I don't know if that's fancy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, is it or a British pronunciation of it? Maybe. Possibly. <laughs> but so that was just like, what? And she's like, no, what is that? And she's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. Just lay down on the bed. And so she lays down on the bed with her eyes closed. And the witch queen, obviously, she's like thinking about her heart. Yeah, and trying to, like, cut her heart out. But she starts, like, opening the front of her uh, uh, bathrobe. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, so, like, a porn almost. Yeah. But you're yeah. like, what does she think is happening right now? Is she going to give her, like, a boob massage? Like, what <laughs> is going on? <laughs> it's just, like, such a weird... But that's when Tristan shows up, so we never know what exactly was going to transpire there. <laughs> We will never know. We'll never know. (laughs) So that's the end of our lightning round. End of our lightning round. End of our episode. We love doing Stardust. We love Neil Gaiman. So cool to get to do another book of his. If you guys like this episode, we have another episode on a Neil Gaiman book. We did Coraline. Mm -hmm. So check that out. Um, It was really fun to do that one, too. And hopefully, maybe maybe we'll do another Neil Gaiman someday. Oh, I'm sure we will. (laughs) Absolutely. It's just, how long can we hold off on doing another Neil Gaiman? I know, right? Like, we like to not do someone too frequently. Yeah. So it's like, how long can we we hold back? Uh, If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Cover2Credits. That's the number two. Uh, if you have want to email us, we are covered to credits pod at gmail.com and uh, email us with uh, if you have suggestions, uh, you know, we did Stardust because it was suggested to us. But if you have other ideas of books you, and adaptations you'd like to see us cover, contact us on Twitter or email. Yeah. Or uh, if you have thoughts about the episode or the books that were or movies that we've been discussing, let us know. Absolutely. Also, find us on Facebook. And if you're listening on iTunes or even if you're not listening on iTunes, Please uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's a huge help uh, just to boost our ratings. So if you can do that, that'd be awesome. And we will see you next episode. See you next time. Bye. Bye.